Hi, everybody, and welcome to the IAC podcast. My name is Ohad Meislish. I will be the host for today. You can follow me on Twitter at DevOpsOhad. And today we're going to have an amazing, amazing guest, Andrew Brown. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, Ohad. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. I'm really excited here to talk about IAC. Thank you, Andrew. For those who don't know, Andrew, you need to follow him. I think he has about 30,000 Twitter followers already or something like that. Uh, so obviously, he's a very interesting uh, person to talk about IAC today. Andrew, tell us a little bit about, about yourself, please. Oh, sure. So uh, for those who don't know, um, I create a lot of different kinds of content uh, in the cloud. Uh, so AWS courses, Azure, GCP, Terraform, Kubernetes, you name it. Uh, I'm creating courses for it. Um, I, I've been in the ed tech business for a long time. Uh, my background is uh, building out uh, learning platforms, and I have a, a strong interest in uh, helping uh, folks learn tech education. I'm in a part of my career where um, uh, I can just kind of do whatever I want. And so my goal uh, really is to um, you know, build out a learning platform, help content creators, uh, and just uh, make it easier or, or, or learning content for uh, tech education to be a lot more uh, accessible. Uh, one interesting thing that I've been up to uh, as of late is uh, running boot camps. Uh, I've been running them for free. Um, the last one I had had 10,000 uh, registered participants, um, and we had to cap it there. And so I think the next boot camp that we want to do is Terraform uh, because I find IAC is really fun, and IAC is obviously a critical component, uh, whether you want to be a cloud engineer or DevOps. But yeah, there's lots to talk about. So yeah, hopefully that's a a good start to an introduction. That that was perfect, and again, and your background is super impressive. The fact that you have uh, tens tens of thousands of uh, registration to your content to your courses, I think, says a lot about the quality of the content that you generate. Awesome. Let's talk about IAC and let's talk about Terraform. You mostly mentioned Terraform in your content when it comes to IAC. What do you think about Terraform? versus other frameworks such as Pulumi or the vendor-specific, let's say, CloudFormation for, for AWS. How, how do you see the, uh, the ecosystem? Yeah, so there's a lot of different uh, tools out there for infrastructure as a code. Uh, we're looking at things, again, as Terraform. Uh, there's the offshoot of TerraGrunt. We have um, on the Azure platform or Azure, however you prefer to pronounce it, uh, Azure Bicep, which I'm a really, really big fan of. I really like their implementation there. Then when you're on AWS, you have CloudFormation, SAM, which is I would describe as a subset or a, um, a DSL of uh, CloudFormation for serverless. We have um, CDK, which is an imperative version of, if you don't like writing YAML declarative code, you can do that. Similar to Pulumi. Uh, Pulumi is an imperative one. Let's use your favorite programming language, similar to CDK. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff out there. Uh, then there's things that are IAC-like. Uh, that's configuration management that some people mistake as being IAC, <laughs> like Ansible, you know, or, yep. or uh, you know, there's the really old school people that uh, they don't trust any of this stuff. So they write everything as bash scripts with their CLI commands. But there's clearly a landscape of, of tools that you can use. And, and Python. The, and Python. Yeah, Python. <laughs> and right now, Python's like the number one language. Everybody <laughs> wants to learn it. Um, but, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. And, uh, you know, the... It's these are all different tools in your tool belt, and the and the right tool for the job is you know conditional based on the requirements, your team, and other things. So uh, personally, if I'm building a project on AWS, 
and I'm only using AWS resources. I don't plan to use anything else. I'll use CloudFormation. Uh, also, you know, it also depends on the size of the team and their domain knowledge. So if I have a team and they're all really good at, um, uh, they're not great at, uh, they're not DevOps, but they're all uh, developer backgrounds, like that kind of thing, then they're going to be more comfortable with CDK because mm -hmm. they can use Python or TypeScript. Um, or also you have to think about uh, maintaining that code. You know, Are you going to have people in there actively updating that code on a regular basis? Because uh, you know, if you use CloudFormation, it's just YAML templates. Uh, I have CloudFormation templates that are very old, years and years old, but I can open them up and I don't have to do any updating or upgrading with them. And so you know, there's a lot of factors. So um, you know, I'm using a, all of them uh, based on on the scenarios. We just, we, again, I, not to talk too much about boot camps, but we just did our, our AWS boot camp and we used SAM, we used CloudFormation, we used CDK, and people were begging begging me to use Terraform. And uh, if I had a little extra time, we would have used it. And so, you know, it's just, it, it's emergent based on the use case. That's that's great. And funny that you mentioned CDK twice uh, in the last couple of minutes, because on our next episode of the podcast, we're going to uh, have as a guest the founder, the creator of, uh, of CDK. So that's a shout out to our, uh, to our next episode. You, and it's also interesting that you mentioned Bicep of, uh, of Azure. Not many people heard of, uh, of Bicep. I think more heard of uh, ARM templates, uh, which is the, the first native Azure IAC framework yes. that Azure created. And Bicep yes. is more HCL style. And, and more similar to, to Terraform, if I, uh, if I understand correctly. Um, awesome. Uh, you know, you've mentioned Ansible and Bash scripts, and you're working very closely with uh, DevOps engineers that need to evolve to those you know, new technologies. How do you compare the work, the, day, the daily work that a DevOps engineer needs to do today compared to five or 10 years ago when it comes to writing code and understanding those those frameworks? What has changed in the skills needed and maybe, you know, in the in the tasks that are assigned to those DevOps engineers from your point of view? Sure. And, and just before I go directly answer that, I think I know who your next guest is. Um, and <laughs> uh, there was one one flavor of infrastructure as code that I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, that fellow who uh, used to work on CDK is working on this. And it's called Infrastructure Encode, where you mm -hmm. write your code and then it just it infers what you want for your infrastructure and spins it up, which is a cool infrastructure encode. The pro the, one of the projects out there is called Winglang. Uh, mm -hmm. So folks, if you've never heard of it, you should go check it out. Um, but, you know, I, you, I would you say... You totally outed, you totally outed the next uh, guest, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, that's okay. Hey, they still, I didn't say the name, but they have to go uh, They have to go do their homework and find out. But uh, I think it's an exciting project. I, I have very large interest in it. But, um, you know, the, the, I would say that when we talk about uh, what DevOps folks need to know now, it's more of like, what, to t what are they able to do that they weren't able to do before? Because our infrastructure uh, wasn't all API driven before, right? So... Um, before you had to write bash scripts or you had to use proprietary tools like those who managed Windows know what I'm talking about. They'd buy uh, paid click op services and they could write some scripting language. Um, and, and these proprietary services would manage the state. State is very important. 
Um, but uh, you know, there was a transitional period of the old the old realm of Windows servers and things like that, or CF was it called CF Engine? I always forget what it was called. Um, but it's the old the the oldest like open source um, IAC tool that you could use to manage your servers. Uh, and our infrastructure has gotten a lot more complex, right? It's not just these are compute boxes, but these are specialized compute boxes that are doing specific things and they're all API driven. And so um, now we are able to uh, uh, drive everything uh, via an API and we are now able to manage the state. Uh, and that's something that we just weren't able to do very easily. Or if it was, again, it was a proprietary service. So I think that's the major chain is that API. So as a DevOps person, you want to take advantage um, of these, uh, 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 of this stuff, and you know, be able to make your uh, your infrastructure. Uh, I I have a hard time saying this word, but I will try it. It's uh, idipotent. Idipotent is that the right word? I always have a hard time mm -hmm. to say it. But the idea is that um, if you write a bash script and you run it twice, you don't want it to run twice. You just want it to put the the, the stuff into a very specific state. And so all these modern frameworks is that they make sure that instead of saying do this thing be in the state. And that's, I think that's the, the largest outcome to it. Uh, and it makes your life a lot easier because you're not going to have side effects uh, when uh, trying to manage your infrastructure. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, you've, you've mentioned the word state uh, three times. And I think yeah. that's the main difference between something like Terraform and something like Ansible. In Terraform, you have a state file and that's like part of your uh, part of your state. Yes, part of your state. But, but, Part of uh, the, you know, you, you can have several lines of code and it executes different things. It can execute nothing. Uh, depends on the state. If you already executed it once and it provisioned and update the cloud resources and updated the state accordingly, then the next execution will be what's called an empty plan. And the fact that you have both code and a state file is the powerful combination in order to manage infrastructure. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, that empty plan or that plan that's going to be executed, we call those change sets, I believe. Um, and so the idea, I think so. Anyways, I always forget all the terminologies, but the point is, is that mm -hmm. you say, "I'm going to change this. Here's the yep. plan to change it. Roll it out, and then here's the thing that says the state that it is." Um, now you mentioned Ansible. There was other technologies prior as well, like Chef and Puppet. Uh, sure. And you know, again, these. These tools did not manage state, but they did make automation in a generalized way with a domain-specific language, a DSL, a lot easier uh, to do. And so, um, you know, some folks are uh, are still there. You know, they're either using Bash scripts or they're in this middle state where they're using configuration configuration management tools. And then the the, the third step uh, would be infrastructure as a code. And then the fourth step after that would be to, uh, I suppose, do GitOps uh, and do full yep. full automation. And so, you know, wherever you are in your journey, you know, the farther you can get to this side of it, uh, the more valuable you are going to be in your career, but also the less work your organization is going to have to do. Uh, and the and the, e the easier it's going to be for uh, you to do your day-to-day -day stuff. So at least yeah. that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. You, you've described the maturity journey of uh, both the technology and, you know, the, the skills of a DevOps engineer. It goes hand in hand. In hand. And, you know, you, you've talked about GitOps. So, yeah, once you have code in GitHub and cloud resources in AWS, uh, you need to manage the, those two together somehow. And GitOps is the first concept for you to do so. Let's say you merge some code, so you want to execute the new code 
and to make sure it's aligned with the infrastructure in production or in staging or in several environments that are reflected by the same code. Uh, one of the main things we see as the very first challenge to manage code separately from the cloud resources is drift mm, uh, yes. and, and, and detecting a drift early is something in my point of view that we see a lot of uh, um, you know, companies struggle with. What is your point of view about you know, GitOps and drifts and other challenges that companies face today when they try to manage their infrastructure with code such as Terraform? Sure, I'll answer that. I'm just going to backpedal one, one, once more here and just to talk about our, our, develop, our, our DevOps uh, person there. So DevOps, half of the word there is developer. And mm -hmm. one thing that developers are good at is coding. And so this is a question I hear a lot from uh, people that want to get into DevOps or they want to advance their career in the DevOps. They say, do I really need to learn coding? And I go, yes. well, yeah, you do. Especially <laughs> yes. if you want to, when we look at our maturity our maturity uh, journey for uh, for um, IAC, uh, you know, when you're doing GitOps, now you're touching repos. You know, you have to know how to commit to repo, like you have to know how to do Git management and, and stuff like that. Or if you want to take advantage, of course, of of these other emerging uh, or or mature uh, products out there, uh, they're all using programming, right? Even if you're doing configuration management, you still need to know uh, programming like Chef is. Uh, well, I don't know if it still is, but at one point it was all Ruby-based um, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah, coding is definitely part of uh, the journey. The other part of um, of that question there, if I can recall it, because I, I I went on a tangent there for a moment. Um, <laughs> I know I'm I'm terrible, but um, uh, drift, uh, drift, drift. Andrew, sorry, drift. yes, drift. Thank you, drift. Uh, and that's an example of drift. I went, I drift, I drifted away from you the drifted away. You, dri you drifted and, away. And Ohad has drift detection on, and and, and he pulled I me right back it, there. Yeah. But you know, a, a comparison between CloudFormation and Terraform is that uh, CloudFormation has this button that you can press, yep. and it will mm -hmm. tell you have a drift detection. But uh, having drift is one thing, but how do you remediate it? And so one of the frustrating things about CloudFormation is that um, it will tell you things have drifted, but to get things back into the, the normal state, you can, it can be kind of janky. Whereas with Terraform, you just do Terraform plan and apply, and then it's going to go ahead and try to put it back into uh, back into its other states. So that's like one of those trade-offs between those different tools um, in terms of, at I, least that's, I, sorry. I, I, have to, I have to interrupt you. Yeah, you're okay. right. Technic technically, you can remediate those drifts by applying the current uh, code. However, I, I think this is very, very, very dangerous because maybe, probably, somebody changed those cloud resources intentionally in order mm -hmm. to to do something and if you just blindly fix the drift by reverting that change yeah you won't have a drift anymore but you might have caused a severe issue in your in your cloud account when it comes to stability performance security whatever reason somebody changed this thing manually without changing the code so it's it's sometimes not a technical question how to uh, remediate the drift it's more of a process and workflow and sometimes a business question on what it means to remediate a drift. Yeah, so I guess the question for CloudFormation, is it a bug or is it a feature that you cannot yep. easily uh, remediate? And that's always an important uh, uh, important thing to ask. Terraform does give you the flexibility to do both, right? So you can uh, replace it or say, try to bring those resources in. 
But of course, uh, with great powers come uh, great responsibilities. So you want to be very careful uh, uh, what you're doing. You know, even when I'm teaching, um, even like CloudFormation, I will always make sure we go check the change sets, even though if we know what we're doing, because uh, those resources can uh, replace when you don't expect them to be replacing. And then we are uh, we're running into uh, a trouble there. So it's really interesting to uh, see the comparative differences. But um, yeah, I, th I think Drift is is something that I think a lot of companies have a hard time with. Another thing with uh, just using IC in general is trying to have a strategy to plan out and uh, determine the boundaries of your your, your templates. Uh, so if you're using CloudFormation, um, there are particular areas where you have to draw the line in terms of uh, these resources should be part of IEC and some things actually should never be part of IEC or um, uh, some resources have to come before other ones. And so that's going to determine how you split up those files. Because I think a lot of people think that you create one big file, right? Yeah. And and you push it and then you have this portable file and that's not true. You basically have these these uh, few files that have to connect in certain ways. And depending on how you couple them together or not couple them, you're going to have uh, pros or cons. And it's not always uh, clear until you, you do it. Another thing is that when you write IAC, you don't just write it once and it's done. You have to go tear it down, tear it back up, change values and, and test the, the, the flexibility of those tools. Uh, because often you'll find out that you might run into a state where, um, especially like, again, I talk about CloudFormation a lot, but in CloudFormation, you, you can have nested stacks. And so you might find out that you need to pull back a bunch of layers and then fix this one down below here to get back to your problem. And so you really do have to um, do more than just write it once and, and then it's done. Um, but what, what's your thoughts on that? <clears throat> yeah, definitely one big file, one big stack is... You know, it's it's the natural way to think of things uh, when you start. But as you evolve, uh, we we often see like the shift from monolith to microservices. We mm -hmm. see the same similar concept when it comes to IAC, dividing your infrastructure as code into different modules, different templates, different files, and then you need to have those workflows and dependencies uh, between those different uh, different files, which is not an easy task. And uh, the open sources or the frameworks by themselves are not uh, helpful in that. You need somehow to orchestrate, manage uh, those workflows. Uh, this is not an end of zero podcast, but I, I, you know, it's, it's as you've mentioned that the yeah, end of zero and I'm, I'm, I'm co-founder and CEO of end of zero is, Trying to solve uh, those those challenges among among others as well because those are challenges that you face when you scale your infrastructure as code and you're no longer just having one workspace, one state file, one file of uh, of code. You need somehow to address those workflow uh, challenges. And I also want to say you mentioned a couple of minutes ago the famous uh, Spider-Man phrase. Uh, that uh, you know, with great power, you need to have uh, great, great IAC, <laughs> great responsibility. Sure, um, IAC is very powerful, but also very dangerous. Mm -hmm. You can easily change code, and many developers have access to the code because it sits there in your uh, GitHub repo. And sometimes a small change might not look dangerous, but the impact of applying those changes can be uh, horrible. 
so you need to have the guardrails, but I think before having the guardrails, you need to have the mindset of understanding what it means to just change some, some code. Uh, it can create stability issues. It can create uh, security issues. can create cost issues. Uh, so you need to be very careful changing, reviewing, applying uh, those changes. That's why there are some you know, concepts such as uh, OPA and uh, policy as code or study code analysis such as uh, Chekhov and TFSEC and, uh, and TerraScan and others that help you catch some uh, disasters early. But any way you look at it, it comes back to the first uh, uh, three letters of the word DevOps and those are dev and, and, and developers, it all comes to code. And I feel that, you know, 10 years ago, uh, it was all about click ops. Mm-hmm. And DevOps engineers did more ops than dev and had to operate um, the cloud accounts by, you know, understanding the different services, the different capabilities that the cloud accounts have. Uh, now they still need to be experts in that, but also mm-hmm. be experts in developing code in the frameworks that, that we mentioned earlier. Do you see a lot of DevOps engineers that struggle with that mindset well, change? Yeah. Or do you... Oh, yes, of course, because because it's a total, it's a total different workflow. It's completely mm-hmm. different from, from their, their prior experience. They've learned these very specific proprietary software tools uh, that automate the work, and they became experts in those. And now we have again API-driven, um, API-driven, many cases open-source tools uh, that give you a lot more flexibility, or, or more agnostic, uh, and and are more powerful, and will and will give you and and give you back a lot more your times to focus on other things. Uh, what was interesting, you were talking about the life cycle of IAC and. Uh, for developers that are listening here, you know that um, there's a lot of things that we can do before we roll out code to production, like running tests and things like that. It's the same thing for infrastructure as you know we heard about OPA, which again will kind of like tests for your infrastructure in, in a sense. You're, it's it's uh, making sure uh, it's governance, right? You're saying I expect this thing to be this way, uh, and that's something that you can do. Um, or or you could say make sure that this thing doesn't get deleted or replaced before you roll it out. Um, but the tr- the question is is how do we how are we able to get to that uh, the, the end of the maturity journey uh, to the best version of IEC and you again you need a platform some of these are built into the platform so uh, when you look at AWS and uh, Azure they manage the state of the file right so and and they have tools uh, and they're good enough if that's all you're going to use if you're only going to be an AWS. Um, and it depends on also the size of your organization because the governance and the management of those workflows are also limited. But it can it can work based on the size of your, uh, your organization. If you think that you need to use other stuff, and often people do, because you know yep. even if you think that you are using just eight of us as your as your primary work- workload, you might be using uh, the Microsoft ecosystem for um, the management of your business. You might be storing your data over in GCP. You might be using some something outside of the major cloud service providers, um, like a third-party provider. Because as long as there's an API, uh, there can be a Terraform provider, and it can it, you can utilize IAC. 
And so there is a huge draw for everything to be towards Terraform. But um, again, often, you know, companies, if they're not just using Terraform, they might they, they might be using two version, two different types of ICs or three different types of ICs. And so it would be nice if there is one place that you can uh, do uh, do everything in one place. And so there are some providers uh, and, you know, again, OHAD's not trying to plug M0, but I'm just saying that there's that's an example of an automation and configuration platform uh, that does get ops where, it, it, you know, you have all these IECs and you, you can use whichever one you want and you can take advantage of all these automated checks and governance mm -hmm. and things that you want. And so I think that folks should uh, or organizations uh, should be looking at, at a, a particular tool that they'll need to use, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Uh, one last question before we uh, finish this great session today. Sure. What is your tip for those DevOps engineers that are more familiar with ClickOps and manually operating the cloud and now need to become more developers and struggle with that from all your uh, boot camps and all your experience trying to train those DevOps engineer? If you can have one tip to tell to our audience today, what would be your tip? Oh my goodness! Uh, of course, come out to my boot camps and my courses. That's the <laughs> most obvious answer, right? But uh, you know, the, the, you know, the thing is, is that um, uh, you know, uh, one thing that I get asked a lot is like, uh, can you make an advanced Terraform course? And I don't even know what that is. And so, mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say here is that um, you know, uh, that I think that a lot of a lot of people think that uh, IEC is a lot more uh, intimidating and goes a lot deeper than you think. Um, but if you start jumping into it, you'll find that in the course of a month or two, you'll you'll be in uh, you'll have good proficiency of skills, and it won't be so difficult. So uh, instead of doing theory, put it into practice and start implementing things uh, today, uh, and try to build out a um, a relatively complex uh, a project, even if it's a a project that's not for your work, so that you can uh, get to those parts, get to those mature parts that you need uh, need to have that are in demand. Uh, you know, so I would say always be pro uh, project oriented, uh, try to do something of a certain level of complexity, uh, start implementing and don't spend too much time reading. Um, and whatever you yeah. want to use, use whatever you're most comfortable with, uh, uh, because there is a, a certain level of transferable skill between IC tools. They are different, but uh, conceptually, once you get one down, then it might be easier to learn the target one that you need to learn for your work or or a future one that you need. Sorry. Awesome. Yeah, you kind of said get your hands dirty and mm -hmm. experiment in the code, and that's the best way to learn. Uh, potentially with a great course by uh, a great educator such as uh, Andrew Brown. Thank you. Awesome. We are finishing our session for today. I want to thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us today, and for all our listeners. If you liked the session today. Uh, please, you know, follow us in listen to additional sessions. Uh, you can follow us in uh, our website, theiecpodcast.com or at Twitter at theiecpodcast. Or you can follow me personally at DevOps Ohad. Thank you so much, Andrew. It was a fascinating session with you today. I think a lot of us can learn so much from you. Thank you and have a great rest of the day. Thanks. We'll see you soon. Ciao.